Hello, everyone, and welcome to Essene Partners. Essene Partners. Essene Partners. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> the dissonance. I good morning. Hello, everyone. Hello. Welcome to Scene Partners Podcast. Get your coffee and listen to us. Or whatever you're drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, hey, you know what? Welcome to the we podcast begin? where we assume that you only listen to this in the morning. In your car. In your car. <laughs> um, before we begin, we do have a sponsored advertisement. Oh, my gosh. Our sponsors. We would like to thank our sponsor, uh, Miss Lemoyne, Catherine Lemoyne, for sponsoring this episode. Some people call her Cat, but we call her Catherine Lemoyne. <laughs> <laughs> cannot believe you didn't chime in with anything you just were like mm. i was waiting for the ball to drop okay that's all i have for you well thank you miss Catherine lemoyne for sponsoring today's podcast yes here is to you from my chair to yours tink <laughs> i was trying to make it to where they could hear me drinking it's the only way to I love that you think that you just hum the whole time you're drinking. <laughs> there you go. That's the noise you needed. That's the that's the right path. Anyway, how are you? I'm good. My mom brought up a good point to me on the phone today. She said, hey, I heard this podcast not too long ago about somebody who was like, when we come out of the pandemic, I want to make sure that. I am not jumping from thing to thing to thing, and I still have time for myself. And I was like, thanks, Mom. You're right. You did listen to that podcast, and yes, I did say that. And this is where we are. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like a podcast She's to keep like you way honest. behind, by the way. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> There's nothing like a podcast, like a recorded thing that anyone can access to keep you honest. Yeah. I find that so much. Like, we'll be out with people that are in our friend group that also do theater with us and they'll totally throw things that I say in my face. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh, it's like, here's the double standard. Hey, that thing that you said, you're doing it. Yeah. That thing that you said you shouldn't do, you're doing it. However, um, you know, it's okay to keep an open mind to be able to say that you rethought that, Maybe you should stay busier I mean, so that your mind doesn't have time to wander. I didn't necessarily think that I should. It was more like, I mean, this is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's going to the next thing. Yeah. And I don't, I, I don't want to make it sound like being busy is bad. I don't think it's bad. It's just, you know, we're, I think the yesterday I actually got a little bit overwhelmed. It was kind of my big thing. And which is okay. And I'm a whole lot better today, but it was mo mostly because we were doing that, the prep work or like kind of like already beginning prep work for all these other shows in the season. Yeah. And also thinking about, okay, in this summer, I'm going to be working an art camp while I'm also doing a summer workshop for kids in the morning and then rehearsing a, a musical at night in two different locations. Yeah. <laughs> and that are 40 minutes apart. So it's like, oh, my gosh. I mean, what an amazing thing. Like, we'll be able to be producing that much. But I already know that I'm going to be insane. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be insane. So we were talking about what shows we were going to do at the summer. And then 
I met with somebody about um, a show that you're directing, which was interesting. But, you know, I met with somebody about that and I started thinking about that show. And then I started like all of the stuff. Yeah. The, and the, the same time that effect. we just started rehearsals for this little kid show at the school that I teach at. And I'm meeting about that and trying to get things together. And it's like I feel like I have seven shows in my brain happening at the same time, even though they're not. Yeah. And there's a lot of distance. It still feels like, oh, my gosh, I'll, I, have, I have so many things. <laughs> like, to, like ticking, ticking all the boxes all at once. And so I kind of had to, like, slow myself down and remember that it all comes in at the appropriate time. Yeah. The thing I always tell people is that I really can't afford to think beyond the wave that's in front of me. Yeah. And once I crest that one, then I will think about the next one. Right. Because I do very much like you. I get anxiety when I get overwhelmed thinking about the global aspect of what's about to right. happen. And then I'm, I, I don't function. And then I sort of shut down mm -hmm. in a similar way. Um, I don't necessarily walk <laughs> my property and then call... <laughs> All Everybody. my friends a hundred times, but you know, I should really start doing that again instead of emotionally eating in the back seat of my truck. <laughs> like that's, I should start walking. More. Let's not knock emotional eating, okay? All right, I've been doing it for two years and it's so good. I don't know. Maybe I should start. Maybe if I just emotionally eat while walking, maybe that's what I need to like. Just add it all <laughs> just, together. Just imagine you on just a treadmill eating Cheetos. A, I thought you were going to say with an entire box of pizza. Oh, that's probably more appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I am really excited for everything. I think one of the things that kind of does it to me is that I get excited about the different shows when I start thinking about the things that we're about to do, because I really like all of the shows that we're about to do. Yeah. Including the kids shows that I'm about to do. I'm like, these are all really cool. Like I'm creatively, I have so many like ideas and things that I'm excited about. And I, I like. Sorry, I did a horrible thing. I got a text and I looked down and then I realized that the person who just sent me a message that I never responded to and I feel really bad about it. Oh, gosh. And so they just repeated texted me two days later. Mm. Just trying to be as better. As long as it's not your bride. I'm trying to be better. Trying yeah. so hard to be better, but that, that hurt. I'm really sorry. Um, anyways, I'm just really excited about all of the creative elements of it. I mean... It's looking like I'm going to get to do two shows that were written by Roald Dahl, which is just like so much fun. Yeah. I mean, the style of it and the heart behind it is just so awesome. And I've got to do a little bit more research about him. And he was kind of super cool. Yeah. In a way that I didn't realize. Like, I didn't know he was a fighter jet. Like, he was a pilot. He Did was a fighter that. jet. He was... <laughs> A transformer. He personally killed Germans as a plane. He was Starscream. <laughs> he, um, yeah, he flew a fighter pilot. Oh, Jesus, he flew Christ. a fighter pilot. Where did he, he fly flew, to? Well, because he was the plane. You he see, worked for JetBlue. Yes, he, he was, was JetBlue. He was the plane, and the pilot <laughs> sat there. Okay, inside of him, <laughs> and he just took him around <laughs> the world. No, he was. Um, he so he flew a fighter jet. And then he crashed it actually in a desert, which is and survived, but was horribly like mangled. <laughs> That's not funny, but he was horribly mangled. And I'm thinking the way the story goes is that he then used that as a way to get back into writing. I also didn't realize that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory was 
Um, these are just fun facts about Roald Dahl. Um, <laughs> like came from the fact that he went to a boarding school and at the boarding school, they tested chocolate bars on the students there from some chocolate factory that was nearby. And so they like would have a day where they got to test all these different chocolate bars on the kids. And he was one of the kids. And that kind of like gave him this idea of, you know, this sad existence that was brought, you know, all this happiness from chocolate bars. But it's like his imagination never stopped thinking about the man who was making the chocolate bars, the chocolatier, right. and and he created that whole. He created the whole thing. Well, and actually, they they everything that I was reading more about him was about how Wonka was actually him, and that the people coming to the factory was him inviting like people into his stories, ah, okay, and showing them how his brain works, and essentially being like, look, here's what I do. As I train the other people, it'd be so interesting to, to talk to him if he like disputed that fact and said, "No, it was just you know what I thought of." <laughs> <laughs> well, and like James and the Giant Peach, which he he got the idea to write that because he was wanting to write something about the start of his life, basically. Because whenever he was very young, he was growing up on a farm. Um, it was just he and his uh, mom and dad, and his dad passed away, and he was like six. And she uprooted them and they moved away from the farm and she sent him to boarding school. And that was kind of like how, and it was in London. And that's what, how he got the idea in a sense for James and the giant peach of exploring this, this child that's ripped away from his parents and, um, you know, the happiness that he found yeah. essentially when he finally found his friends. But he came up with the idea, like I actually listened to an interview with him where he's looking out into uh, the yard when there's an apple tree. And he was like, what makes those apples stop growing at the right time? And what would happen if it didn't? And it just kept growing and kept growing. And he said, but apples... You couldn't really do anything with a giant apple. It would be too hard. You can't like live inside an apple. What's something you not a pear? He's like, what about a peach? And that's like how he got to that point. Yeah. And he was like, and then it's great because then there's a seed inside, and you could do all kinds of things with that big pit that's in there. And I was like, that's just. <laughs> I mean, it's so smart. If it's going to be any fruit, I can't think of anything better than a peach. You know, I will say all of his ideas are so wildly different while his style is, you know, similar. But yeah. all of his ideas are so wildly different from one another. Like Matilda doesn't in any way resemble, you know, James and the Giant Peach. It does kind of follow a similar formula, though, of a child that is almost like an outcast for being different in some sort of way. Oh, yeah. And having like an imagination and a school <laughs> or I guess really, I mean, the setting of the yeah. story. Yeah. But there's like a school where all the plots people are similar are, you know, they hate him or whatever. Or mm-hmm. hate them. But it is that is very interesting. And like bullies, there's always bullies mm-hmm. and then they always overcome and happy ending. There are some of his other books that I don't really know that I've never read. Like there's one called, I think, The Solo or something is about it, like a boy pilot, I think. But anyway, it has been fun. You mean a and, boy plane? Yeah. A, yeah. He's a <laughs> he's a plane. <laughs> I don't understand. He's flying you, a I don't boy. think you understand what we're talking about. He, he was a plane. He had no fingers. And he still he managed propellers. to write these stories. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've heard that planes have phalanges, so... 
I'm not even. I'm. Not, I'm not humoring this remark. Thank you. Um. Well. Oh God. That was something I was going to say about him, and it's, it's gone forever. It's gone forever because of your stupidity, Chris. His horrible comments. Well, about planes. I stand by it. Oh, his illustrator Quentin Beck was uh, the guy that illustrated all of his novels and and um, all of his short stories. I do want to contend you on that name. Is that the actual person's name who was his illustrator? Because Quentin, Quentin Beck is definitely his first name. Is now I'm for nervous. sure Mysterio in the Spider-Man universe. <laughs> is it seriously? <laughs> yes. I know this dude's name. First name is Quentin. I thought it was Quentin Beck. Uh, da, 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 here I am typing Quentin Blake. Blake. All right. Also, today's um uh, today's uh, word of the day is Quentin Blake. Quentin Blake, and sponsored by Catherine, Catherine Lemoyne. <laughs> <laughs> if she's still with us, probably not. <laughs> yeah, she she tuned I checked out. out at Roald Dahl. She she tuned out after we said her name the first time. Um, but so. Quentin Blake, sorry, he illustrated this stuff, but it's so interesting looking at his style because really it's not pretty. Yeah. And <laughs> I I feel like it's something, it's one of those things where you look at it and you're like, oh, I could do that. It, and you couldn't, like, you couldn't do the style that he's doing necessarily, but it is made to be so simple. Yeah. And I think it's just really cool that he used like harsh lines with his pencils and then these watercolors that on that kind of bled through the lines. Mm -hmm. But I like it because I think it works really well with the stories, but it just opens up to such like, as, as far as the theater goes of being able to do like, try to bring that style onto the stage is really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like it, it, it's kind of like if you took Tim Burton and rounded off the angles. Yeah. <laughs> Everything wasn't just like so strangely pitched in a way. And I'm I'm excited about doing it. Well, he directed um I think the film version of James and the Giant Peach. Tim Burton is, did? Yeah. So I think that's why that sort of works in that way. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, there is that whole entire stop motion portion of the film. Mm -hmm. So that would make sense that that would be him. And I also didn't realize that Roald Dahl was like a screenwriter. Like he wrote like episodes of TV shows and really, yeah, yeah. He did a lot of extra writing that I had no idea about, but anywho, so I was thinking today that, you know, because it is black history month that we should have a talk about black actors mm -hmm. and their influence on the theater. And as I was driving home and I was thinking this, I thought, if we talk about this, what like it's going to be very difficult for us because we're two white guys in a room. Yes. And so like what gives us license to talk about it in a way like do we like as far as the perspective goes. But I don't think that it means that we can't talk about it or that we shouldn't. I mean, yeah. I think that's kind of strange. I don't I think where it like trips me up is I, I don't want it to ever come across like, Oh, this is my experience or coming at it from a place of superiority, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which is definitely not what I, th I would, I would want. Um, so, uh, but as I was thinking of it, I started thinking, you know, I've taught some, some black history and theater and, uh, 
about playwrights and and I honestly don't even know where I would begin. And that's kind of sad. Yeah. And I don't know why. So I guess that's really what I'm talking about is immediately whenever you think about um, African-Americans in theater, you think, or at least I think, I think Tennessee Williams first because of Louisiana. And it's just so rich here. Um, And August Wilson. And then my mind kind of goes blank. And that's probably not okay. Yeah. <laughs> like there should be more. And I know that there, there have to be more modern playwrights, but I, I mean, sadly I just cannot think of a single one. And I think that's, that just must be a downfall, I guess, of mine that, well, it's not just you. I, but I think that in general, we could all do a better job of educating ourselves yeah. on these things. And I mean, I feel the exact same way with basically uh, looking at plays that are done by any other race mm-hmm. as well. I mean, I, I, and I don't think it's not, it, and it's not because I'm not looking for them necessarily. It's just that I, I just don't know. I just, I, maybe that's, maybe that's the problem. It's just, it starts off from forming a habit and it's so awkward to talk about, <laughs> but it, it's of habit of being like, you know what? I want to, look for these types of things because I do want to produce those shows as well. And not those shows, but just like shows that are more diverse and that are written, you know, not just by old white guys forever ago. And, um, I mean, that's one thing I'm excited about this year is that we are doing plays with that were written by two, uh, like two different plays that are two female playwrights. And I'm really excited about that. Um, I'm. It, I guess it's also kind of sad that it's like, oh, we're doing this, and isn't that special? Like, it shouldn't be that way. It yeah. should just be like we're doing these shows. Yeah, we're doing these awesome shows yeah. by these awesome play, awesome playwrights. And I don't think. I mean, when we chose them, I wasn't thinking, oh, we're gonna do two shows this year by women. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like that. It was just. No, you said that in 2020. Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> kind of. Who knows? Um, but. I, I don't know. I think I just I mostly want to say out loud that I think that I need to do better job, a, a better job of looking at more diverse texts that don't just necessarily speak to my own experience. Yes. Which, you know, I don't think that I necessarily would ever have any business directing an August Wilson play. But that's mostly because it deals so much with... um with growing, like literally growing up in a, cur- a culture that I would not. Yes, it's, it's an experience that you have not had. I would not have. And so that would seem kind of strange for me to direct mm-hmm. that <laughs> onto other people. Be like, yeah. no, this is the experience. But like, no, that I, I wouldn't be able to do that. In the same way that I would not act in it, obviously. Obviously. So uh, anyway, but and yet I like Tennessee Williams is very different. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they're both very different playwrights. You know, they they oh, clearly very, very wrote much for so, yeah. different things. Who is the playwright that um, had the secret affair with Tennessee Williams in Illinois and then wrote something about roses? Do you know what I'm talking about? Victor Hugo. No. But I do know that he had a second family. So Tennessee Williams? Victor Hugo. <laughs> <laughs> I think the play's called uh, 
loss of roses, maybe, or... Well, I do want to speak real quick while you're looking that up uh, to the, the talking about like directing plays or putting on plays that are not just like white guy experiences. Right. Yeah. And I think it's very important for. Well, uh, also, you know, we we did uh, To Kill a Mockingbird, which was so awesome to see so many people like sort of eye opened to that yeah. hadn't read the book even or didn't know the story or had forgotten the story. And it's like, let us bring this back to the surface. Mm-hmm. But also we're directing um, uh, little women this year. Yep. And I think it's awesome that you and I have kind of stepped out a lot in, in the forthcoming shows and said, we really don't want to necessarily be the focal point of everything that we do. Right. I mean, that was one big decision about for me about, you know, it being time for you to direct a show mm-hmm. because I'm so terrified of it only ever being my thing. Yeah. And we talked about that last time, I believe, but, um, I, I mean, y- the hope is that things live on without you and that people take, you know, your approach to things and kind of carry that torch in a sense and yeah. live, live on in that style, I guess. And so they, kind of like adopt your belief, I guess, of like, this is what I'm trying to build and this is what we're doing. And so I hope that you will also do that. And then as they come on board and they start having their own experience, they bring their own things to the table and it can, of course, change. But um, at the root of it, it is all from that one, you know, that that place of of passion and, you know, doing things for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. And um, so I I am excited. I mean, I don't, I've never wanted from the beginning of starting this company. When we started the company, it was never about, well, I want to do this company because I want to act in this play or that play. And yeah. It was never really about that. It was, and I, and I don't really think it's that way when we choose a season either. Mm-mm. I mean, I think if I was only ever choosing plays that I wanted to do, our season would look very differently. <laughs> yes. And um, I don't know if people would necessarily be supporting us as much either, <laughs> but you know, you have to think about, and I, and I don't think it's about, I, I don't think that we choose things based on, well, this is what's going to sell the most. I mean, that was probably the biggest reason or the only reason why we chose to put Elf in the season. Yeah. But that's just smart. I mean, you got to have one. You got to have one that people are going to go see so you can pay for the other things that need yes. to be produced. Is it like we we talked about before, like not everything is always altruistic. That doesn't mean that going into something that we think will help pay for the forthcoming season yeah. can't also be this artistic endeavor. Right. It's just where we are is not necessarily like we're not going to go out there and put on, you know, this uh, uh, a modern I'm, like I'm not going to put August Osage County on the stage <laughs> yeah. and in Alexandria, Louisiana and think that we're going to pack the house and it's going to pay for the rest of my year. Yeah. Or you know, just so many other things, but where I would love to direct that play. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I would love to do that show, but it's still, you, you do have to think about, okay, well this is going to sell. And I think that we could put a, a better spin on it and it wouldn't be so hokey. Yes. Um, and hopefully it'll be fun. But all that to say, like having something like that built in so that we can build a bigger audience that, yeah. say, we do want to, you know, I'm sure, especially like from this discussion, I plan on looking into who more modern uh, people of color uh, playwrights and things like oh, that yeah, are. Oh, yeah, of course. So that, 
you know, we can look at that next year when we're sort of sitting down and picking and discussing mm-hmm. like, oh, I bet we could do this or I bet we, you know, could maybe try this at some point. Of course. I mean, I and I really that is definitely what that is definitely what we need to do and what we should be doing probably from the beginning. It's also just, you know, it is hard to as far as when we're choosing the season, I don't think that I've ever thought or, you know, obviously that is changing because I'm becoming more aware of, you know, the way life is and the way that we should behave. But I've never actually thought like, oh, I need to look for this. Mm-hmm. It's more or less like, oh, I'm gonna just going to read this show. Oh, I'm going to read this show. Yeah. I read the show. Oh, I like that one. I'm going to do it. Where in, instead of just being a little bit more, I guess the word is purposeful as far as looking at the bigger picture of it. Yeah. Being like, I want to, you know, support black playwrights. So I'm going to look for a play that we can do that will support them, you know? Yeah. And that kind of a thing. Um, the writer was William Inge. Mm-hmm. So William Inge, this is the story, was obsessed with Tennessee Williams, honey. And Tennessee... Mad ham. I'm going through a lot of accents. <laughs> Revolving door right now. Tennessee. Tennessee met him in Illinois. <laughs> in a little quaint hotel. Illinois. <laughs> in Illinois. Um, or it was Indiana. I can't really remember. It, you just it's almost the same thing. You just read. No, I'm telling I read his name. That's oh, all I'm I need so to do. Sorry. I apologize. I, I thought you like, read for... this dude's bio. No, this is like this is like his IPDB. This is like theater talk. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's what we should have called this. And we should have talked like this the whole time. Hi, thank you for subscribing. Personally would have checked to out to Catherine Lemoyne's uh, sponsorship podcast of Theater Thank talk. you for coming to Theater Talk where um, we're going to be talking about... If you knew how high I had to boost <laughs> that sound, you would stop doing it. <laughs> well, I can hear it perfectly. <laughs> Um, so anyway, people driving so down the road, he's and like, what is what happening? Is he doing? There's so much he's wind resistance. Growling. I can't hear a freaking thing. <laughs> um, that's your problem. So anyway, so William Inge meets up with Tennessee Williams and has this like weekend affair with him and then writes this play called a loss of roses. And it is basically a Tennessee Williams play. When you read it, it's like you can definitely tell that he admired Tennessee Williams. I mean, it is like streetcar named Desire and Vucare and um, and a little bit of glass menagerie all thrown together into a blender and mixed up. Yeah. And it is a very good play. It is a really good play. I would love to do this play sometime. But William Inge opened it on Broadway after his meeting with it. It opened on Broadway. And it did not do well at all. Mm-hmm. And it pretty much was one of those that like it opens and closes. Yeah. And so it opened and then closed pretty much the same night and got horrible reviews. He did some rewrites on it. And I got my story a little backwards. That's whenever he met up with Tennessee Williams for this weekend, but it was actually turned into an affair and then went back with some rewrites, which you kind of have to think, did Tennessee Williams rewrite this for him? <laughs> like be like, Maybe. I'm going to help you out. This is the way you do this. And that's why it sounds so much like him. But so, so anyway, so he, he uh, goes back and tries it again 
and it's like so in love with this play and it still doesn't do good. And mm-hmm. so William Inge killed himself. And that's the end of the story. Right, took a turn. Um, you have to learn how to land the plane. <laughs> I'm the <All> plane. Right. <laughs> no. Darn it, Roll Doll. <laughs> I was just going to call it Roll Dolling. <laughs> <laughs> you should call it Kill Your Roll Dollings. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, and it was like a horribly sad story, but he has this, he has this play that he wrote. I mean, it is really good. If you've never read it, you should, you should read it. We should read it sometime. Um, it's kind of a hard one to produce. It's strange. It deals with porn, which is interesting. Okay. Where like, not in the way of like the, the lead character is staying at someone else's house. It's in their family. And, this dude shows up and you find out that she's done something or filmed something that she shouldn't have. And this is in like the late fifties, something like that. Mm-hmm. And she is shunned for it, but it's just very, I remember watching this play and thinking, well, that took a turn was not expecting that little, that sprinkle. It's kind of how this whole conversation has gone tonight for me. Well, listen, <laughs> I was at work today and now we're here. So <laughs> it's like the song we started at you the bottom. Get, now we hear you get what you get and you don't pitch a fit, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Your turn. How about you it? You did not blink at I'll all just, when you said that. that I'll just great. sit over here and I'll just drink. Okay. I drink. You know, I actually do uh, to get more off topic real quick. I do have a bone to pick with you. Yeah. You like put up this um uh, I'm sorry, TikTok the other day. Yeah. And it was uh involving Tuck Everlasting. Yeah. And it had the uh the music from uh Hans Zimmer's uh Interstellar uh mm-hmm. music. Yeah. And it kind of got me. Is it because I hadn't seen uh, Interstellar yet still? Well, it was the cornfield chase track or whatever. Yeah. And that you'd placed over it and it was like scenes from Tuck Everlasting and well, it like, somebody really had, emotionally got me. Somebody had posted something and it was like this is the soundtrack to every memory that you could ever have. And I was like, well, that's interesting. And so I just, I what I do this all the time and I never post things. Like really I do these things all the time with videos that I have on my phone that are just kind of random and just see what it is and then I just have it in this locked that folder. That is an interesting take on that soundtrack because the whole sort of plot of that film is about remembering the thing that you're going off to save. Mm-hmm. Well, that is very interesting. So they were like, this is what a memory sounds like. And that's exactly right. I would say a thousand percent that is correct. Yeah. Power of Music Man. Uh, Speaking of the power of Music Man, how do you feel about Music Man being revived? This was another thing that I thought about talking about and was like, Ugh, everybody's talking about this. We don't need to talk about it. But, And you may not have any strong feelings about it because it is a musical. Here's the thing. It's not my favorite show. Right. But if you had to revive it mm-hmm. and you got Sutton Foster yeah. and you got Hugh Jackman, I'm pro- I'd, I'd go see that. Do you have any strong feelings about the fact that Sutton Foster asked them to lower the keys for her song so she could belt it instead of sing it the way that it was written as a legit soprano? Look, here's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking. I'm I, asking the questions here. Here's Okay, all right. So we, I am always about making things easier for me. Always. However... If you're going to cast someone in a show that is as 
sort of iconic as that one sort of is, uh-huh. I would say you might want to stick to your guns a little bit instead of like sort of appeasing the actor that you wanted to be in the show and do the iconic version of the show. So, Not that you can't find a way in to make it different, but... Because then my argument is, um, why do it at all? If you're going to do it the exact same Oh, way. I see. You hate this show and you don't want it produced. I don't. Okay. No. Yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> and I also don't like the producer of the show either. There's like a whole other, there's like a huge bag. There's a producer on the show that's put in all this money and is benefiting from it, but he was like a secret producer and he's actually an absolute horrible human being that has done horrible things to actors and like people learned that he was a part of the show and they're supporting him. And then Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster went on and did this interview um, for Vogue magazine, I think. And they yes. basically like sang this dude's praises. And it was like, what are you doing? Like, don't uh, no. Oh, and they had the famous uh, photographer come and take the photos for them for that Vogue cover. Uh, man, I cannot think of the name. I mean, they're the definitely moment. throwing money a at lot this of thing. Money. And they were saying that Hugh Jackman is going to be the savior of Broadway coming out of the pandemic. And, you know, all for all of that, like, I think it's it's great that all of these people have a job and music man is a huge show and it is employing a lot of musicians and a lot of, you know, uh, tech workers, like, you know, your costumers and everybody like there's a lot of jobs that are being given from this show. But I just don't know, like if I personally think putting all of the stuff aside of my feelings of the show or whatever, um, if I think that we should be reviving these musicals, like why? Why do it? Well, they were. I love on listening to them because the pandemic. Am I I'm correct a, on that? Oh yeah. yeah, it was. They were. They were like definitely. It was in the. It was already okay. way in rehearsal. But my thing is, I just don't understand. I mean, I love personally. Like, I love listening to Joshua Henry and Jesse Mueller's State Fair. It was like absolutely gorgeous listening to them do it. Um. But because they're amazing singers and I just I, I am a dork, so I like it. Yeah. And I'm sure I'll listen to Music Man, even though Sutton Foster kind of gets on my nerves. She does kind of get on my nerves a little bit. But that's just a personal thing. But I feel like a lot of people get on your nerves. It's just Sutton Foster. It's just like, oh, I don't I don't know. She seems I, super nice. Should I talk about, you know, Andrew no. Lloyd Webber? OK, no, we don't have to go back. We don't have to go down that that rabbit hole. Mm. You're, I almost did it. <laughs> <laughs> but Sutton Foster, I don't know. It just seemed, she just, like, I'm sure she's really good. Obviously, she's made, she's incredibly talented. She's made it to this point in her career. It's just so hokey and, like, ugh, nothing. Like, I don't get anything from her when I watch her perform. Just kind of seems like, here I am. Look at me. I'm doing all the tricks. Yeah. I do wonder, and I also have to question a little bit, if it's based on the diminishing returns and people's more and more interest in, and really the film industry is, I would say, suffering too a little bit because of the way we have to quickly think from the, the one thing to the next. And it's not just like the TikToks or the Vine sort of sort of um, culture that we kind of live in now where we, we jump from one thing to the next. Like you watch people's quote unquote vlogs and they're like quick cut montages of mm-hmm. things that these people are doing in their lives. And it just sort of lacks substance in general. 
Yeah, but she's Sutton Foster's not young. Well, what I'm what I'm what I'm trying to get at is that I wonder if they're using people and reviving these old shows like Sutton Foster and uh, Music Man and Hugh Jackman just to get them there to get people in the seats. Well, that's a hundred percent what it, I mean. It's a whole. It's a, it's all well, yes, marketing. It's obviously, it's the definitely big racket and marketing and things. They're like definitely that. wanting to make money off of their name. And Lord knows how much. I mean, I don't even know how much you pay Hugh Jackman to be in a musical. I mean, I cannot imagine. <laughs> It must be a lot. I cannot imagine, especially for this long. I mean, I think that he's probably a really good person and would do a lot of this probably for not as much as he probably could. But still. Anyway, I just don't know if we I, I just think there are new stories and I think Town proves that point. Oh, absolutely. And even prom whenever it was out and we don't talk about Jamie, like all these all these things, like, um, or it's not. We don't talk about Jamie. I just combined something. We don't it's talk about something uh, about like it. It's maybe it's just Jamie. I can't even remember it. Bruno. It's Bruno. <laughs> How dare you? We now now we're gonna get we're gonna get sued. Not Disney me. don't play. <laughs> you can't say like the word Bruno that, anymore. Um, uh, Catherine Lemoyne sponsored this podcast today, and she is <laughs> the one that was talking about solely it. financially responsible for this show. <laughs> But I just don't know if we should be reviving these shows constantly because there are so many new things to do. But I know that it is all about money. And it's just like we want to bring the people in. But I think you already have that with the shows that never close, like Lion King and Wicked. Like, let those just go and stay open until the end of but freaking time. But this producer is not making money and never stands an opportunity to make money off of that. And in the same way that we're reviving freaking Ghostbusters, yeah. we're reviving freaking really everything these days. I think even it's TV shows. I think it's the the sure thing. Yes, Every, it's a, you're wanting the sure thing in a business that has never been about sure things. Yes, but I am really confused about this Bel Air reboot. Like, why isn't oh, it's Will so. Smith playing Will, and why don't they acknowledge the fact that Uncle Phil? has died and now will is being the fill to somebody else like why isn't that the storyline that seems like the most natural best way to do this and instead they're just oh there's a whole new thing like no people didn't watch this like they want to see a continuation why are you doing this not a continuation well, what are you doing i will say this ultimately the fresh prince of bel-air the storyline is just a fish out of water yeah, a hundred percent. And that could only like go for so that. long before he is really assimilated into that, which would be great to bring maybe one of the or maybe Carlton's son is acting up or whatever. It doesn't really matter. I think Kanye. That Kanye should be the new Will. Because it's a rapper, right? It needs to be a rapper, because Will was a rapper when they brought him in, so it could be Kanye. The character was not a rapper though. The character was a no, I'm saying Will, Will Smith, Smith was, was a, rapper, a rapper and they brought him in. Look, him I think and the less Jazz. we talk about Kanye these days, the better. No, that's probably true. I mean, it could be Kanye. Though. But but I do understand what you're saying. It's just Lexi like, would rather chance the rapper. Absolutely. I'd watch that. Um, <laughs> but he's too cool. He's too cool. Will Smith was goofy. Okay. Um, either way. <laughs> either way, I agree with you a thousand percent. Like, why even remake this? Why not tell a new, fresh just story? Tell a new story. Or if you're going to do it, just continue the story. And there have been a thousand, a thousand fish out of water stories. My goodness. Every freaking teen drama ever has been a 
fish out of water story. Maybe we should start doing that with like this shouldn't be Music Man, the musical. It should be Music Man 2. Okay. I hear music you. Man, the music I, men. I hear oh, <laughs> He's man. recruited. He now has a son who's also a con man. He's waiting for that Wells Fargo wagon to come to town. How do I get off this Roald Dahl plane? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And instead of music people, they're riding the Wells Fargo wagon. Having a conversation with you is like listening to Quentin Blake think. <laughs> listening. <laughs> Why, did, why are you bringing Quentin into this? He hasn't done anything. I'm trying to tie all these ideas he together. Did, <laughs> <laughs> Somebody did tell us that, that you are here to make it all make sense. Yeah. You having a good time? You know, why don't we have one of those cool podcasts where we talk about things and then you bring in the episode, like the sounds of Fresh Prince in the background. I can't do that. Or like, you know, like why? But like, then we might are, actually get <laughs> No, actually, we don't make any money, so it should be fine. Yeah, as long as we fine. use 30 seconds or less. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I was listening to podcasts today. <laughs> um, I was going to do it, but I, I decided that it would probably not be a good idea for me to try to improv a scene partner's version of the yep. West Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> I watched I watched a hundred decisions come across your face. Yeah. I'm glad that you're here to tighten up those pauses. Mm, that's a lot of what I do. Yeah. Sorry about that. So uh, the next step, we actually have to start talking about, um, and I think we're going to try to decide this like tomorrow, when, speaking of Little Women, the musical, when our auditions for Little Women are going to be. I'm very excited about the next thing. I am really excited. Because I... I think the idea that we have is going to be so vastly different, and I'm very excited about that. Yeah, I think it's going to be really before. cool. I I really love I really love the musical, even though Sutton Foster is the lead. I really love Jesus the <laughs> in the OG cast. <laughs> like I'm just trying to be positive over here. I really do love the music, and there is so many heartbreaking and fun moments in it. And I just think that it does a really good job of storytelling because the story itself of little women is so good. But, um, I do think that they went a little like too far into the music theateriness. Mm -hmm. And so I think that the things that we have in mind, as far as some of the fun ways that we're playing with the music that we've been giving given is, is going to make it seem like a completely different show. You know what? I will talk about a personal experience I just had coming off of the show that we just did as far as like music and and having these deep experiences. You sure and you don't want me to talk about it? Yeah, you why don't you go ahead first and then I will <laughs> chime in every now and then like, yep. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was yes, my experience. Yeah. Um No, it is so because there is very deep heartbreak in this upcoming show. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I think a lot of people overlook um, cause I've been, I've been thinking about this, uh, and trying to like resolve it within myself mm-hmm. is when you do a show and there is this heartbreak within a show, you have to relive that every night, right? This is not like a TV series where you live with a character for many years. So you have that deep personal attachment to it. It is, I have to, and, and, you know, kudos to Ben Platt. Right for oh for man, I don't even understand how he did that. Being able to do these long runs of these shows, and anyone who has to do it, like you have to make that raw and authentic every single night. Mm-hmm. And when you're done, you still have all of these feelings. 
And it's not just like this impassioned thing that that happened to you. You have all well, of these Well, your body emotions. doesn't know the difference. And it's not just like just your body, but it's also the mental headspace that, for example, like that I had to jump into to get to a certain point. Yeah. And it is stepping back and thinking that's over. Mm-hmm. I have to <laughs> I have to put that to bed. Yeah. And so that is one of the things that I'm very excited about going into Little Women about because I have this deeper appreciation for these things. And it's not just about making a, a quote unquote emotional moment. It is about making a real raw human experience. And hopefully we mm-hmm. can convey that to the audience in some kind of way. And I'm very excited to be working on that. And that's sort of like, okay, I can now ride the wave down and then sort of ride it back up. <laughs> it is really hard to, like, I remember the the hard fall of doing a show you're incredibly emotionally connected to and you're having to put yourself through this whole thing and you get home and it's like, oh my God. It's like the weight of all of that is still on you and mm-hmm. how do you shake it? Because it's not, it's not like your experience necessarily, even not though- Not at all. You are you went, but you went through it. Yes. So it is an experience you had, and it was someone else's mm-hmm. at the same time. So it's a kind of a weird thing, and, and then, then it, it lives there forever. Mm-hmm. And then you sort of take it with you. But it does also show you, like so many people, there are so many tricks about getting around an emotional moment, and I really it is one of my biggest pet peeves is when. Like, I think of it so much as being lazy, really. But whenever people are inauthentic on stage and they just... And you know it. Oh, it's, it's so easy to know. And and I get that, you know, everybody has their stuff to work through. And it is really hard to be that vulnerable on stage in front of people and doing your thing. But, I mean, that is your job. Yeah. So I, I think when you see people take a shortcut and it's like... Why did you just do that? Yeah. <laughs> like, like this could have been this awesome, beautiful moment that we've built up and you just like affected your voice to make me think you were crying and put your like my absolute favorite is when people cover their face. <laughs> yes. And I'm like in the audience looking up thinking, oh, they must be upset. But who would know? Because we're playing peekaboo with emotions yes. right now. I'm emotional. Like, no, I'm not. I'm emotional. No, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? Like, if you can't get there, something's not right. Yeah. Like, you didn't work it enough. Because that that's kind of where I always fall in with uh, the different styles of acting. And I've always thought that, you know, sense memory is fine or whatever. But, I mean, I think that if you are empathetic, if you're an empathetic human, then you can put yourself in somebody else's shoes and use your imagination yeah. and just feel your way there. Mm-hmm. And I know everybody gets to a place differently, but for me, I think that your imagination is your most powerful tool. Yes. And so, like, I don't, it, it is impossible to say these words and go through this experience and not get emotional. Yeah. For real. It can still be a real emotion, even though it's not a real situation that's happening to you. I just always feel. I don't know. That yes, always and it, annoys well, me. And it's like, cover your face. I came here to see your reaction. Yeah. Not the, not your hands. And it's like, when have... Well, okay, so covering your face is a huge thing for me, too. And it's like, when have I ever cried and the first thing I wanted to do was cover my face? Like, the one thing I'm trying to do is to not cry. 
Yeah. It's the like, well, that's I'm, the other thing is I'm fighting crying, against your I'm obstacle. Angry that I'm crying because it, it it got me to this emotional point. It, and these are just real life things. Yeah. But but when you do a, a character that, and I'm very much like you, like I don't know the experience of anything that my character had gone through at all, and I'm nowhere near that at least at this point in my life. And I can look back maybe one day and think, oh, well, that's crazy. I got to do that, but. I said I was protective of the role in the last time we recorded, but now mm. I, I would never let anybody ever play that role. <laughs> but I also exist in this window of time where it's like I look young enough yeah. to play the role. Yeah. And I I did I did want to publicly thank you for not letting me lean into any humorous roles for that particular. It was show. really cool getting to see you uh like stretch in a different direction. You know, that you're not necessarily comfortable with. I mean, that's awesome. And it was, man, it, it was really hard the last day to even say a name. Yeah. I yeah, was like, yeah. what is this? What is this? <laughs> Names are such an emotional, powerful thing. Yeah. And I like going through when I do monologue work with people or I'm doing acting coaching. That's always the thing. If you are talking about someone and you have a name in your text, like what it means to say it yeah. and what is the feelings because... How does the name taste in your mouth? It's all just those. like all of... Yeah, how... It's, Sutton it's, Foster. It's, <laughs> <laughs> freaking Andrew Lloyd Webber. His name is even so long. <laughs> it's like... It's like his name is also a song in it's one of his five shows. syllables. Andrew Lloyd Webber. It's like... It doesn't end. You said that, and I thought of uh, uh, Alan Rickman saying, turn to page 374. Turn to page 374. Um, oh, I love Alan Rickman. But yeah. uh, what was I saying, youngster? Because <laughs> I done forgot. <laughs> um, well, I will say about that show. Oh, names. Names is what I was saying. Is because you have such an emotional response to it. And so even in your own life, when you think of names of people who are close to you, like especially if they've passed away, when you say their name, you immediately have all of the feelings of that person come back. Yeah. And so it's just always so powerful. I just think like names are always so, so important. Mm -hmm. And especially what you put on them. Um, the name that you had was really good because it had so many good vowels. Yeah. And so you could kind of luxuriate in those vowel sounds, which is awesome. I It was kind of interesting for me doing this last show because I am more and more realizing that I am older. <laughs> <laughs> and like in my mind, I am still like I can still be one of the young guys mm -hmm. in the show. And then I did this show and it was like, I'm believably their dad. <laughs> like no one has come up to me and been like you were such a young looking father not a single human <laughs> nobody well, you know, once really funny came up they were is, like yeah that works yeah Meryl Streep talks about um all the time like when she turned 40 she was offered like a series of witch oh, roles. All, it was the the year of the witch <laughs> yes and, and she's like oh okay Hollywood I see you yeah I was just looking. Oh, you looked at the back of your phone and then showed me the front. And I thought, oh, am I supposed to look at the time? Is it time to go? You good? <laughs> no. We're done? 
no, I've got this logo on the back of my phone and one of the T's and play on theater keeps moving around and I keep putting it back. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I'll just keep that to myself next time. Okay. But it was pretty cool getting to be like, I guess just realizing and then making myself be okay with the fact that I'm just not going to be the young guy in the show anymore. That to me is really exciting though. I know. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just... Because here's some roles that you haven't yet had the opportunity to explore. No, I've always been able to explore those. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I've always been the tall dude with a deep voice. I've been been people's fathers in shows since children's theater. Ugh. Ugh. That was always the thing. Like In children's theater growing up, if there was, you know, we were doing a kid's show, I was always the dad. And then in college, I was always the old guy. (laughs) Or like somebody that was middle aged. Sometimes it's okay to know your type. I guess it, it's been that it's been that way for me forever. But it is there's there's the edge of the sword that's like okay I've now said goodbye to all of these roles that I can't play anymore. Mm-hmm. And yes, the other side is that now it has opened up this whole other world. But in all honesty, I could not like even if I wanted to, I couldn't play those young guy roles anymore. No, I mean I. The thing is, is that I just, I could maybe do it, but my experiences are such that it would be so hard to not approach it from a mature standpoint, I guess. Yeah. And it would be very difficult to, to identify Yeah, and be like, oh, this makes sense. Whereas like the teenager that was in the show with us playing the teenager, like instant understood exactly what he needed to do. Because it's what he feels. Yeah, like, he's he he is still a kid that's hopping around and playing, uh, treating our set like a playground, which was the whole concept and idea. Can you imagine if I was having to do that? Can you imagine? <laughs> you would have been the amount the of letter. supports. The, the amount of support <laughs> at the top of the world. At the top of the world. The amount of extra life insurance. <laughs> yeah, Lexi would have been like, "You cannot play this role." <laughs> <laughs> You so can like, run lights. Here is your knee brace and your knee brace <laughs> and your ankle braces and your back brace and your elbow pads. And, and two aspirin. And your football helmet. <laughs> you have to wear these at all times. <laughs> oh, I don't know what this episode was, man. And I'm sorry. Yeah, this is probably all over the place. This is a freebie. It was a no topic freebie. No, no. Today was sponsored. Oh, sorry. This Today was sponsored by Catherine Lemoyne. Of Catherine Lemoyne's LLC, <laughs> trademark pending. Yeah, yeah. So why trademark? Solo, it? solo proprietorship. Anyway, well, it's been nice seeing you. Well, we'll see you again. Don't remember your goodbye from the last one, do you? All right, that was Cody. <laughs> I was gonna see how long I could just be quiet and let it last. It's like this could be such an awkward moment. You weren't I even breathing. I can anything. hear you breathing in these mics. You weren't even freaking. I wasn't. Breathing. I was just holding it. I was holding it. I was playing the part. You know how many times I realize when you and I Dad, are just completely. <laughs> can you imagine? <laughs> you know what? I you played I my father died. and no one questioned that. No, not a soul. I don't know who that's more insulting to. But we went to that one brewery, and that girl thought that I was a year older than you, and that we were both in our. Early 20s. Early 20s. But I think she was probably just being kind to me. Maybe. Ah, there we go. Yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> hey, I I need to go because I've got some friends waiting to hang out with oh, me. Oh, yeah. 
don't disturb my friends. I am your friend. <laughs> that was Cody. I'm trying to make it seem like there are more people in our lives. Goodbye. Goodbye. That was Christoph and Uncle. You have to edit that. If you do not edit that out, I'm going to kill you.